I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome back to ETFs for Beginners, where we shake the ETF tree so that you can eat the fruit of confident investing. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anna Christina. Hello, Anna. Hi, Phil. I always love your fruit analogies. They make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, I'm an old fruit myself. So tell us about today's guest. Today, we have Emily O'Neill, who is the co-head of ESG and Equities Analyst for E-Invest Better Future Fund under the code IMPQ. So Emily, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi, Anna. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on the show today. Well, thank you for being here. <laughs> Let's kick it off by learning a little bit more about you. Can you tell us about your background in finance? Yeah, absolutely. So I always knew finance was an industry that I wanted to be in. It's fast-paced, it's exciting, it has global significance, and it was just an area that really, I guess, I felt driven to. And so I went and studied a finance degree at university, also studied psychology for interest, which was fantastic experience. And I joined a global investment bank as an intern and then as a graduate and spent a number of years there in equity research, which basically means we write research and give stock recommendations to really large investors like your super funds, like other investment managers. And I quickly developed a passion for sustainability and ESG investing and had the opportunity to move across and to help run IMPQ, which is a sustainable investment product. So Emily, I believe when you were a teenager, you had an aspiration to run Macquarie Bank. How's that going? Thanks for bringing that one off again, Phil. Yes. So as a teenager, I guess my dream was to be the CEO of Macquarie Bank, which is definitely aspirational at this point in time. But I mean, never too late. And I believe that eInvest is the only ETF provider in Australia that is actually run and has been founded by a woman. I didn't actually know that fact, but thinking about it, it absolutely makes sense. And we have a fantastic managing director, Camilla Love, who's a really big advocate for females in the industry. She's done a fantastic job at starting Invest and providing ETFs to the mass market. And I obviously helped to run our IMPQ products. So we're quite a diverse team. And I think diversity leads to great results. And hopefully that continues. I love hearing a little bit more about that, about women working in finance, because my experience has been that there aren't as many women in finance as there potentially could or should be. And I know we talked a little bit about that before we started recording. Do you have any thoughts on how women can get into finance if that's something that they want to actually if that's a career goal of theirs? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess what we find is that females are quite a large proportion of the university degrees. It is relatively even, but as we go up the ranks in finance, it does seem to drop off and and there's a number of reasons for that. I think it's a fantastic time for females to enter the finance industry. There's a large push to get females in the door. That's for a few reasons. I guess, firstly, 
the acceptance and the increasing evidence that better results, better business outcomes happen from a diverse team. Now, obviously, that goes beyond gender and there's a lot of other elements of diversity, but particularly gender is super important to get the best results out of the business. You have diversity of thought, um, diversity of background, and these all lead to better results. And we find that it's the same in investment as well. The second element, I guess, is also it's just the right thing to do. I mean, we need to increase females because it's equality. It's about making sure the workforce is representative of our clients, which, you know, is the everyday population. And it's just the right thing to do to have equal representation. And so as a female in finance, I think it's an awesome time to get involved. There is so much opportunity out there. There's so many resources now and initiatives and scholarship programs to get females in the door. And I think you should take advantage of that. And also you're less likely to be the only female in the room these days. There's more and more females in the industry I think what we struggle with is there's less prominent females, so there's not as many being heard in the industry and being recognized. That is continually changing, and I think you'd be surprised at how diverse or how much improvement has been made for finance on the diversity front. I think it's also important to realise that there's also many jobs and many roles in the industry that's not necessarily finance related because the industry's changed. And now if you've got skills in social media and branding and marketing, these are the kind of skills that are also in great demand in this this industry as well. I agree. Um, I come from a product background. So similarly, I don't have a finance background, but I love hearing from you, Emily, because you do have a finance background and that's how you've kind of evolved into that space. So let's touch on IMPQ a little bit. What is IMPQ? How do you define it? What are things that people should consider when they're looking at this specific fund? So I guess my personal belief stems that companies that are performing well on sustainability or ESG, and ESG, of course, stands for environment, social, and governance. And there's a lot of different topics under all of those three headings. But I guess my fundamental belief is that businesses doing well on these elements are going to deliver better results. And there's a few reasons for that and a few practical examples. So if your company is treating its employees well, as an employee, you're going to feel more valued. You're going to want to do well at your job and you're going to want to stay and not leave and go to competitors. And so that means that there's more employee engagement and you're probably going to be more efficient But also it means there's going to be less turnover and turnover or having to replace an employee is actually a really large cost for a business. So if you're not turning over your employees, you have happy employees, healthy employees, people who want to do well for your business, of course, it makes sense that you're going to have better business outcomes. And from an investment perspective, we seek those companies because we think that they're going to be able to achieve better than a peer that isn't doing as well on those factors because maybe they're having to employ more people for the same amount of work or they're having to constantly rehire, which is an expense line, which again obviously hits the profit line. So as investors, it makes so much sense that we want to find companies that are doing good things from a sustainability perspective. We also know that sustainability is really in demand. Customers want it. Investors want it. You really need to have a sustainable business model to capture the growth that's happening in the market at the moment. So with IMPQ or the Invest Better Future Fund, what we're doing is we're going out there and finding companies, and usually these are smaller companies listed on the ASX, small to mid-sized companies that are helping to shape a better future. So that means that they're doing positive things from an environmental or a social perspective. 
So whether that's helping to remove greenhouse gas emissions from our atmosphere, trying to reduce the emissions profiles of other companies, whether it's improving safety statistics within a business, employee engagement, diversity. So these are all things that we seek out. And there's some amazing companies, Australian companies, that are helping to solve global sustainability challenges. And to me, that's really exciting, but also leads to what we believe um, superior investment performance as well. And we use our slant on sustainability to help find those companies and to help achieve good outcomes for our shareholders. I know I was just researching IMPQ and I was quite excited about it because um, I know on Perler a lot of a lot of users actually invest in IMPQ and it's going to be included in one of our our funds for our micro products. So excited to see better futures listed alongside a lot of other ETFs. Glad to hear. Yeah, we do a lot of work to try and improve outcomes in the world. So a big element of our process is actually company engagement. So almost every day I'm speaking to senior members of ASX listed companies, whether that's CEOs, investor relations, CF, so financial officers, board members, and I'm talking to them about how they can improve ESG and what elements of ESG is really essential for their business model. And helping companies improve on ESG drives better outcomes overall. And so that's a big component of our process and particularly diversity is one area of focus for us at the moment. What does your investing funnel look like? I mean, what's the criteria that you're looking at for a business that you'll be including in the portfolio? Yeah, great question. So we have a dual purpose of both, I guess, shaping a better future, so having that sustainability element, but we also want to drive strong and consistent returns for our investors too. So we're basically looking at at the ASX, so all the companies listed, particularly down the smaller end of the market, because that's where kind of the innovation lies and the growth lies. And we're seeking out companies that are having that positive environmental or positive social impact. But we're not just buying it because of the sake of buying it, because of its purpose. It needs to have robust financial outcomes. So we want to make sure that its balance sheet is strong. And that just basically means that they have enough cash to continue in business. We want to make sure they have really dedicated and well-equipped management teams. So a CEO who actually knows what he's doing, who actually has a really good path for growth. And we look at chief financial officers who can control the costs and so the costs aren't blowing out um, so they don't need to raise capital at dilutive prices. So there's a lot that goes into the financial analysis. We model every company and we project the earnings profile and we come up with an internal price target mechanism to make sure that we're not overpaying for our business. So it's really that dual structure of is it helping to support a better future and is it going to have strong financial returns so that hopefully the share price will follow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Emily, ESG covers a whole range of situations. There's the environment, there's the social, there's the governance, and there's a whole bunch of factors that can be taken in consideration. Do you weight these in any way in your investment decision making? 
Definitely we do. And what I would say is that some elements are more important to some businesses than others. So it's really about the sector that they operate. So for example, if you're looking at the retail market, so, you know, that's when you go shopping and you buy a new dress or a new t-shirt and one of the big elements for them is modern slavery in the supply chain. So are the people who are making your garments being paid a fair wage? And that's not just minimum wage. That's what we call a living wage. So do they make enough to be able to support themselves and their families? Do they use materials that are not really wasteful or that are not really emission intensive or water intensive? And so for the retail industry, they would be some of the large ESG issues that we would want to tackle. But it really is sector specific. But what we do internally is we have a scoring system. So we have a score for environment, score for social and a score for governance. And we also, which is quite unique to us, have a score for engagement. And we weight environment, social governance, all equally. So they're 20% in our scoring system, but engagement, which we actually believe is more critical is weighted 40% in our score. And that gives us a score out of 10. And we can then compare a business to what the rest of the market is looking like on ESG. And every company in our Better Future Fund has to have an ESG and E score that's above a weighted average benchmark score, which is the small ordinaries index. So within each ESG, as I mentioned, there's key factors that are more important to some companies. But in general environment, we're looking at emissions profile, we're looking at water use, we're looking at sustainable materials, we're looking at waste management. In social, it's all about the customers and the employees. So we talked about employee engagement, but it's also diversity, it's treatment of their end customers. So, you know, accessibility and all of those types of things. Governance, as you mentioned, Phil, like about the board and the structure to make sure the business is run really well and is not going to come into trouble. So that's board composition, making sure the right people are in the right committees, the remuneration structures are robust. And then we have engagement. And for us, this is all about how engaged a company is on improving ESG outcomes in their business. Can they talk about sustainability? Do they know what the key issues are? Are they willing to work with us to improve? And we find that management that are able to do that are actually just better managers at looking after a business. And we believe that they're going to generate the best outcomes because they tend to be just more superior managers. So that's why that is weighted the highest in our scoring mechanism. And it also means that we have a really great ability to help improve our businesses and drive those ESG improvements over time. And as I mentioned, that leads to better financial results. I am always blown away at the level of analysis that goes under these headings. And I haven't even thought about engagements, but thank you for elaborating on what that actually means for you. It's quite fitting to have better futures as a title for this as well. Let's switch gears a little bit. I would love to hear about your own personal finance journey and how you actually approach investing and what are the kind of conversations you have around finance? Yeah, so I'm really passionate about financial education. I've spent some time in the past working for a fintech, which was all about providing access to financial products to the everyday investor who didn't feel confident going out and doing it on their own because it can be overwhelming and it can be stressful. So I'm a huge advocate for getting people to invest, learning about the markets, doing little bits at a time, and really getting a sense of that financial independence and understanding the markets. I do believe that everyone can get involved, but you do need to be, I guess, 
aware of the risks of investing. Of course, there's always risks, but there's also rewards as well. Um, so doing it in bits that you can afford to use and, and going small bits at a time and really understanding what you're actually investing in. So when I talk to my friends about investing, I really do recommend ETFs, which is quite fitting for this podcast, because I believe that it's such a unique way to get exposure to the markets. And typically there's no minimum. You do have to be obviously aware of any transaction costs that happen when when you transact in an ETF, but minimums are quite low. So you you don't need a huge amount of money to invest. And just with one investment, you can get exposure to lots of different stocks, depending on what you're investing in. And I think that that for someone who doesn't feel confident in the markets, it's a fantastic first step to get their foot in the door instead of having to go out and pick stocks themselves. So as you might've heard through this podcast, there's a whole lot of work that goes into researching what companies go in our portfolio. And if you have a day job, you might not have the time to go in and and build your own investment model to analyze the market competitive dynamics, to look at what's happening in the globe. You can just have an entry point into a lot of different stocks or different themes. And I do honestly really advocate that personally to my friends for getting started little bits at a time. Um, Of course, we have dollar cost averaging, which I'm sure you've probably spoken about on the podcast before. And I always say the markets go up and down. So you have to be prepared that, you know, sometimes your investments may not go as to plan. So never invest more than you're willing to lose is what I say. So never put in, you know, your savings that you couldn't do without, or if you don't have a financial buffer, only invest what you can afford to lose. Those are some great points, I think, that you've mentioned. You did talk about dollar cost averaging, which I don't think we've talked about on the podcast before. Do you just want to define that so that people know what that means? Yeah, sure. So dollar cost averaging is basically buying little bits at a time. So you're not trying to time the market. So you're not trying to pick one entry point. You're actually just over time adding to your position and so that you're getting an average price for your investment. So what we tend to find is that, you know, there are times when the market comes up, goes down. And if you just buy little bits at a predefined point in time, you can, I guess, average out your returns as opposed to, you know, maybe just buying at the peak or just buying at the lows. Some people do like to try and time the market, but there is obviously more risk involved. And so from a personal perspective, little bits averaging over time should, as the market increases over a number of years, you should, I guess, reduce your risk exposure there. And risk is a big one, I think, as well, that new investors are a little bit scared about. I know you had some really great suggestions or advice. Do you have any comments on risk and how people can mitigate any risk when it comes to investing? Yeah, good question. And I think it comes back to making sure you're comfortable with your investments and understanding your products. You know, there's certain sectors of the market that are more volatile than others. And volatility means that they can move up and down really quickly. So understanding the underlying holdings of the product, where the exposures are, what countries are the companies located in, are you in passive or active markets? So active, obviously you have a fund manager who's going out there and picking the stocks that go in the portfolio or are you passive and just buying the elements of the market and there's no portfolio manager sitting there and saying this should go in, this should come out. So just understanding what you're investing in, making sure you're not doing anything that is too risky for your own risk profile. What we find is some people tend to be quite risk averse and and get nervous around investing. So just educating yourself, listening to podcasts like this is a really good way to get a little bit more comfortable. Great. So, of course, you can buy these ETFs on different platforms, and rumor has it that you're a fan of different fintech companies. So, if someone wanted to go buy IMPQ, where should they go? How should they do this? And what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, there's a number of ways you can buy it. So you can buy IMPQ like any other stock on the stock exchange through your broker or your bank if you have a trading account. There's also fintechs that allow you to enter really easily. So Pearl is one of them where active on, on Perla. So there is different ways you can get access. In general, there's other fintechs out there that allow really easy entry points. So there's obviously Raise, which allows you to construct a portfolio with no minimum and you can actually do roundups. So you can put in, uh, if you buy coffee and it costs you $4.50, they will round up your transaction to the nearest dollar. So um, $5 and invest that 50 cents for you. So, which is a really easy way to not even think about investing and just do gradual bits over time in line with your spending profile. There's also a great company called BrickX, which allows you to buy bricks in an investment property. So again, breaking down the barriers, you don't need the hundreds of thousands to have a deposit. You can enter in with, you know, a couple of hundred dollars. So just anything I think that's providing exposure to retail investors to get into the markets in the first place is really exciting for me. And I think it's a fantastic way to learn about investing, to build your confidence up and to get exposure to some of the gains that people have been experiencing, typically unavailable to the everyday person. Yeah, seeing the evolution of that fintech space and making it cheaper and easier to start because you don't need $10,000 to get started. You can do it as as cheaply as a dollar, $5 is just fantastic. And some of these companies that you've named are, are great. I haven't even heard of BrickX. That's awesome. I'm going to look into that. <laughs> It's a golden age of investing, isn't it? And uh, there's no excuse not to start investing right now. That's the case, isn't it? Yeah, of course. It is a good time to invest, but obviously do your research and talk to a financial advisor. We really advocate to get that personalized advice because obviously anything that I say or, or we all say is, is general in nature only and not specific to your own circumstances. So make sure you're seeking external advice that's related directly to your own circumstances. Tell us about your podcast, Emily. You're a fellow podcaster as well. I am. I am. So an ex-colleague of mine and I started a podcast called The Alpha Females Invest. And on that podcast, basically we have two goals. The first is for providing content for people in finance who really want to, I guess, elevate their knowledge. We're kind of a little bit more technical than some of the other podcasts out there. But our second dual goal was really elevating female voices in the finance industry. So I might have mentioned earlier that there are females in finance, they're just not often given the headlights or, you know, they're not in the headlines. And I guess we've been able to uncover some amazing female talent in the finance industry that previously haven't had a voice. And that's been so exciting because there's such amazing talent out there and to be able to give them the opportunity to share their views and share their knowledge has been really exciting. So that's our dual purpose. Representation really matters, doesn't it? And um, I think you're doing great stuff in amplifying those voices. Well, I think we're moving to the sign-off stage of this podcast episode at the moment. So, Emily O'Neill, it's been great to chat with you again. We've met before on the Shares for Beginners podcast, but now it's great to have you on the ETFs for Beginners podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Phil. It's been a pleasure. And of course, if any of your listeners want to find out more, they can have a look at our website, which is invest.com.au and keep listening to podcasts and educating yourself. That's so important, isn't it? Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Phil. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend. It may help them and help us keep going with the show. 
also don't forget to rate us. ETFs for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not ETFs for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 